This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, a positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Nancy Longnecker. She is Professor of Science Communication at the University of Otago. Kia ora, Nancy. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Where are you, Nancy? I am in um, near Mornington in Dunedin. I'm, I'm actually technically in Mary Hill, but when I say Mary Hill, most people hear me saying Maori Hill, and it's not the same suburb, so I say near Mornington, and I can look out over um, from my study and see St. Kilda and the beach there, which is lovely. That sounds like a nice place to be locked down during lockdown. How was your bubble life going back to the first one two years ago now? Well, um, I really have to not struggle, but, you know, to really reflect back because it feels like a very long time ago. Um, But when I think back on bubble life for me, I think very fondly of it, actually. Um, I'm one of the lucky people who uh, could work. I can work from home. In fact, I really enjoy working from home. (laughs) I have a lovely setup here. I have a lovely view and um, not too many distractions. So I can can work quite um, well from home. And I, you know, we were fortunate. My salary continued on working from home. Um, My husband, Ramo, is an artist. So we're pretty self-contained for shorter periods of time but the disappointment for us was that um we were going to europe in april no april may 2020 and that obviously didn't happen um but it was it was actually lovely it was lovely we walked around our neighborhood we um met at a nice distance um neighbors whom we had only ever seen in a car before who were also walking around the neighborhood. And um, I remember one time walking up the street and around the block, around multiple blocks, and seeing more people out walking than I have ever seen before or since. Uh, it, It just felt like such a community. It was a great community feeling. And then all the teddy bears, you know, all the, there were just, there were a lot of really lovely things about lockdown for me personally. Mm. It's interesting that that has become a, that that was a, that felt like a sort of a time that was almost precious, whereas the time since then, I don't think we'll be looking back at that time as being so precious. Not at all. In fact, I would say currently 
I feel more stressed and anxious than I have in in memory, maybe ever, but um, I'm sure that probably if I if I really thought about it, I would find another time. Uh, maybe when I was submitting my PhD or something, it was pretty stressful. But no, I think um, I think we live in a in a very uh, anxious time right now. So I think we need to we need to find you know reclaim some of that calm that we had. That I ha that some of us were lucky enough to have. I know uh, I totally acknowledge that um, lockdown would not have been easy for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so I we were we were blessed here. And of course, the pandemic rolls on, and now we're seeing the peak. How's that affecting your 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 teaching and and research? Well, it, it's um. This is another interesting thing about this whole scenario, isn't it? Uh, we have discovered so many different ways of doing things, and we we had to do that pretty, quick, <laughs> pretty quickly. So I um, doing a bit of teaching via Zoom, which isn't as satisfying as being face to face with students. That you know you. Uh, Anyone who performs in any way will know the buzz that you get from face-to-face -face interaction with the people that you're um, that you're with, and it's hard. You know, I mean, it's it's lovely seeing you here. It's very nice, but it isn't. It's it's a different feeling than we would have if we were in a studio together, isn't it? Um, so so, but we've learned how to do that. And the interesting thing, I'll diverge from work to into personal for a minute. Because the interesting thing about lockdown, to go back to the first lockdown, was because I am a bit, I, I do love traveling. And um, and I'm obviously, from my voice, you can tell I'm not from here. So visiting family and friends um, internationally is important to me. And having to cut down on my carbon footprint um, in a very significant and short-term way um, ha ma has made me think very carefully about, you know, what I'll do in the future. But it also made me realize that um, how important friends and family are to me. And when you know you can't go see them, well, now we have this, well, we've had technology forever, but um, it, it was easy, relatively easy to reach out to people electronically online. And so I actually caught up in 2020, well, since since 2020, I've caught up with some of my best friends, historical best friends, whom I hadn't caught up with. And it's it's always because, oh, I know I can't go visit them. But now it's like, oh, but I can, I mean, I know I could have always called them. But again, it's not the same calling as 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 seeing someone and having that conversation. So I've actually caught up with a lot of my best friends from many different eras in the last year that I would never have done if we hadn't been stuck. So so the technology so thinking about different ways of doing things has been really useful. I guess the the flip side of that is that um is is the pressure, I suppose, to deliver and to deliver something of in teaching and in research to deliver something of quality 
when you can't do the things the way you would normally do things. And that's, um, I think that's what some of the current level of anxiety is because there was a lot of um, patience and flexibility and forgiveness in the early days. And now a lot of that's backed up and now it's like, okay, now. <laughs> I was talking to a learner yesterday and remotely and we were just desperate for a whiteboard and and we know that there there are perfectly adequate online whiteboards but it's just not the same they that hasn't got that ability to it's the there, sort of tactile nature lot, of it isn't it there's a lot to say about tactile it's i mean it's the same thing as as reading you know i mean i'm a book i'll show you, I'll show you a book i've just read <laughs> you know, it, you, there's there's a lot to be said for reading and and feeling the paper and turning pages physically. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Linda Ronstadt with Desperado. Why this one? Well, good question. I. Um, when you asked me to pick a couple of songs, I found that really difficult. And so, again, I went back historically to think about songs that meant a lot to me over many years. And this this was one of my favorites that I could sing in my head. And um, when I listened to it again to see if it still resonated with me, I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I was feeling that, those kind of emotions way back. I mean, because they still are very strong. <laughs> Very strong now. There's a line in there about um, a lot of good things have been laid across your table, but you always want the ones that you can't get. And I'm thinking, God, I still haven't learned. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I used to sing this song. I don't know when it came out. I can't remember, but a long, long time ago. Anyway, it still resonates for me. Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you will hurt you somehow. Think you're crawling away the time 
Professor of Science Communication, that comes with a healthy dose of research. What are you looking at at the moment? That's a really good question. I um, One of the great things about science communication is that you get to dabble in a lot of different areas because our our, our mandate, our, our, our um, reason for being is to get to share enthusiasm that we might have about science with people. And... I, I mean, my my love is is plant science, botany, um, but I'm interested in a lot of different things, and I'm a museum tragic. I love museums. I've always loved museums, and so so my research is hard to pin down. It's quite quite diverse, um, but I have been doing a number of projects recently that have to do with smaller. Um, community museum local museums and one of the students that i've worked with in the masters of science communication just submitted her thesis yesterday so it's kind of top of mind and she did a fantastic um display a little exhibit for the uh tuapika goldfields museum in lawrence where um the title of her display is life and death on the goldfields and she her first degree was in um bioanthropology and so she took evidence from, I, I jokingly call her a grave digger because they've excavated cemeteries that were unmarked and, and kind of lost, histor- um, lost in Lawrence. And they have done some you know, chemical analysis of hair in, one, in a number of instances. That's what remains of the people that they can do some um, analysis of. And she found... Um, for her honors degree, she looked at, at hair from a woman and found this woman had huge quantity of mercury in her hair. And it, and quite likely, I don't know, for, I mean, none of us know for sure, but prob, you know, possibly that was a contributing factor to her early demise. Um, but anyway, she, it, so Ruby, they're not a lot, there's not a lot of known about the women in the gold fields. So Ruby did a little display about this woman from the gold fields. And then she did another, another component of her display was a Chinese um, sojourner, the Chinese people who came over to try and 
make make money and bring it back to their family. And it looks for this particular one, again, from the um, analysis that they could do up his plat, the plat from this Chinese fellow, that they could tell a change in his diet, uh, which indicated he hadn't really lived in New Zealand all that long before he passed away. Conditions were really harsh there. So anyway, Ruby's pulled a lot of this information from historical archives, from her um, bioanthropology research together and made a display that's gone up in the um, in the Lawrence, in the Tupika Goldfields Museum in Lawrence that so people can see well what you know what and think about <clears throat> excuse me think about what life would have been like back then during the gold rush it would have been pretty hard <laughs> mm. is there a, so that's one is there a sweet spot between the the science and the the the, the story that that evocative story like that yeah, absolutely. Because we stories are what work for us as humans. You know, that's the, the you're much more likely to remember that, or people would be much more likely to remember that because I've told you a little bit of a story about those people than if I just told you about the um, concentration of mercury in that woman's hair. You know, I mean, it's like who cares what the how, how many micrograms or nanograms or however much it was, but um, but but the story of their life kind of brings images to our mind and we can we can relate we get more empathy for for um people and situations so the character in our storytelling doesn't always necessarily have to be human <laughs> and we have quite a number of students in our program who are very interested in conservation and things so in fact and quite often our the characters in their stories might be animals or um, some other creature yeah i don't know if you've looked at this in detail but how has the science communication around the pandemic rolled out? Well, I have looked at, okay, so that's another thing back to, um, back to lockdown. One of the things that I did and I couldn't help myself because I am trained as a natural scientist and quant, and I, I do like numbers. I'm, and I obsessed, I was checking not probably not hourly, but I was checking way too regularly the numbers and you, coming from the US watching with great distress about how things were unfolding in a number of countries and my husband's European so um, I mean he's from Finland and Finland actually handled the pandemic quite you know relatively well um, but still the the death the number of deaths over in in almost every other country in the world compared to New Zealand is just so huge. Now I forgot, I've gone off on a tangent and now I can't remember what your original question was. So can you remind me and I'll, I'll try and bring about, myself back. No, no, it was, it was oh. about the, the story and, and how the, the, they used that in the science communication of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, in fact, I've given a talk recently at um, University Club about, and the title of that talk was Science Communication Saves Lives. Good, good science communication can save lives. And I am, I firmly believe that one of the reasons New Zealand has done so well is that, that we've had some really excellent science communication through, especially in the early, um, in the in the first year of the pandemic, that um, was very clear, timely, uh, consistent, you know, all of the, all of the hallmarks. And so, you know, I was one of the ones who was at 1 p.m. I was, <laughs> and I don't watch much TV, but I was watching TV um, and I was pulling down numbers as things were going real pear-shaped in Italy and the U.S. and different places around the world and thinking, you know, we have friends in these places. I have family. I have 
two cousins who died with COVID um, in the U.S. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think either one of them were vaccinated. Um, well, I know one of them wasn't. The other one we haven't wanted to ask, have that conversation um, with the, their family. Um, but anyway, it's, yeah, I think science communication, ha we have been blessed in New Zealand with, with excellent science communication that has absolutely positively saved life. If you look at um, what happened in 1918 and compare it historically to the, the um, pandemic in 1918, there were over 200, I think it's over 250 deaths in Dunedin in Dunedin alone, like 9,000 deaths in New Zealand. And we've just hit 500 here in New Zealand. And we, you know, I mean, that's horrible, especially for the family, for those 500 and their families and friends. Um, but you compare that to, to 1918 with 9,000 deaths and you think, well, we haven't done too badly. Um, we, yeah, we, we've, and I think science communication has played a big role in that. I think the, the messages that we got, we were told that they were following the science and following the health advice, but I'm not sure that they told us much science. Or maybe they did, but they did it in such a way that we didn't think it was science. I think I think they did. Um, I think it was layered. And that's, that's, a, that's a, in my opinion, not everyone's opinion, but in my opinion, that's a good, that's a sign of good science communication because most people don't want the numbers. They, they want to know, what do I need to do? And they want to have trust in the person that's telling them what they need to do to help make that decision about whether to follow those instructions. Okay, and obviously that's a big issue these days. But, um, but it, in the early days, there was a lot of trust. Um, and I think we did get the science. And I think one of the things that we got because and you know this is obviously through my filter and my lens but one of the things that i saw was the science was changing you know the, the science wasn't changing what we knew about covid was changing because that's the way science works is that and um there was so much effort around the world because it was global um there was an incredible uh concentration of effort of people now if only we can do that with climate change we'll be in a good place but but for the for that time having all that effort and having the science change and having people say well now we realize masks are a good thing this is an airborne disease it's i don't know if you would remember but at one point people thought because of the meat workers that were getting having so much trouble they thought it was all going to be on the surfaces that were of uh, packages that were coming in and things like that and, you know it took a while to find out no that wasn't what the problem was it was airborne and probably some i don't know maybe some ventilation problem in their workplace or whatever so so as the science changed we had, again, consistency between different messengers for the main part in, in New Zealand. And you can, con that's, a, that's a pretty big contrast with what was happening in my country of birth. In the US, you'd see Trump up there standing next to poor Fauci, trying to, trying to keep a, trying to not roll his eyes as Trump was telling people to inject bleach. I mean, uh, you know the mind boggles, um, and then and then in comparison to that, we had um, you know leaders who were apparently talking to each other and listening to each other and and sharing not probably not everything they knew, but sharing a lot of what they knew regularly and openly. So that yeah. Do you, do you think, think we do enough 
I have done enough groundwork with the the wider population on that science. Have we have we gotten people to think of science as a process rather than memorizing the periodic table, so that when we have things like this has changed, people understand that that's actually science working, not science has failed. That is such a good question. <laughs> no, that's that's such a good question, and that's that's. Um, something that we talk about a fair bit, you might imagine, in, in science com- communication circles, and that we talk about science, science literacy. And, under- and, and a lot of times when people looked at science literacy, they did look at things like, yeah, measure- periodic table. And, oh, what did people know in terms of facts about science? Did people know about, you know, does the moon go around the sun or does the sun, you know, does the moon go around does the earth go around the sun or does the sun go around there? It's like, you know, all these facts that that measuring whether or not people know them as opposed to measuring whether or not people understand how science works and that science, that facts or our, our knowledge does change as we learn more. And that's the sign of a good scientist. A good scientist is someone who will look at new evidence and say, oh, Maybe I was wrong. Maybe this is a better explanation. Um, so that's that is the huge challenge for science communication to get that across because that um, I mean I guess it is the tr- it is the archetypal story of of um, so in that respect it should be relatively straightforward with a narrative to talk about the challenge and the you know the trying to climb this mountain and getting there and you know so I mean it, it does fit into a story narrative but somehow it's not what we learn often in formal education in science which is kind of sad. There's a great <laughs> but music. To answer your question, you, your your first question was about getting out to a wider population and um and no, I I don't think we've done a good job of that. And I think that that we've seen plenty of evidence of that in the last couple of months that um that there are a lot of people who don't understand the scientific process, but and and there are a lot of people who don't trust and a lot of that is for good reason. Don't trust authority. I mean I totally acknowledge that there's a lot of reason historically for people not i don't i i'm i i personally have problems with with authority and i i i blame my father you know a lot of (laughs) no i don't blame my father i blame my father's employers because my father actually um lost a very important job to him he was an anglican uh, minister and he was appointed as a head as a prince headmaster whatever principal of a primary school that was early days in that school's history and he had the audacity to say that he thought this was in the louisiana in the deep south of um the states uh in the early 60s might have been the late 50s, early 60s. He had the audacity to um, tell the bishop that he thought black people should, black kids should be able to enroll in the school. And he lost his job because he said it very publicly. He didn't say it in private. He said it very publicly and wouldn't recant um, when he was asked to. And so we moved from where we lived to New Orleans, which I thought was wonderful because I much <laughs> preferred living in New Orleans. But um, I look back on that, and I never knew that story growing up. I never knew why we moved to New Orleans because that was not discussed in in the home. I learned that much later in life, and I so I think that's probably where I get my 
antipathy about authority is from the underlying current about the authority doesn't always know what's best and doesn't always do the right thing. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahu ahau. I hope you're all going to be staying. Beautiful superstars, lovely universal, and wherever you are, whatever this journey that we're on together to be. Very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you and who you are, a triumph of nature's art. Unique and here, thank you. Now I know that for all of us, the last more than two years have been a very challenge. It's so important that we're kind to ourselves and each and that we acknowledge that for all of us, we are sharing collective mourning and grief for the world that we once knew. And of course, grief comes in waves and moves through us at different times, different ways. So for everybody, thank you for keeping on going. Thank you for the contrast that you're making. Thank you for caring people around you yourself as best you can. And I know we're all doing our best constantly. I know for myself that when I am gazing out upon the many stories and ways that things have been shared with us at the moment, it can be very challenging for me because I love the world so much. When I see the pain and suffering that others are experiencing. I feel very sad, but this of course is part of loving. When we love and care for something, we want to eat it, and we nurture it, we want the best for it. And so I'm grateful for the love that I feel for the world, the beauty in the world, my desire to protect and celebrate the world and all life within it. I think that we've been so fortunate that we have been so well looked after here in Aotearoa New Zealand and we've had that opportunity to really reconnect with our own backyards and this is something that I've decided I'm going to embark on again over the next few weeks. I've planted a veggie garden and it's growing really well and I have my three hens and so I've decided that there's going to be a lot of cooking from the garden and experimentation with different dishes from the garden. And of course I feel very fortunate to have these things to support myself. So I really hope for you, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, there are ways in which you can find that balance between seeing the pain and suffering, seeing the challenges, allowing the grief of their impact to, to be felt by your heart and your mind, your being, your consciousness. And with the power of that love for the world that we all possess, allow that sense of grief and pain to be transmuted again into another side of it, gratitude for the lives that we have. And I really hope that you can find ways to reconnect that support you, that help you feel really good. As it gets colder, of course, a different energy arises and waking up in the morning to darkness to nothingness and then hearing the birds begin to sing of course always renews our sense of hope 
So thank you so much for having this part of the show. I'm so grateful to be here with you. Huge mihi to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Nancy Longnecker. Nancy, we were talking before Tahu about that authoritarian aspect and, and that distrust of authority. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing that people have got identities as anti-vaxxers. Is that going to be hard to turn around because of that con- that, 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 that break between that sort of science and the, the identity? Absolutely. Uh, and um, this is a big... <clears throat> A big part of my thinking in science communication is how important it is to connect with people's values and their identities and to think about the audience that you're working with. Um, that, you know, scientists tend to be logical people and they tend to think that if I just present the evidence, then that will do the job. And that's not the way we make decisions as human beings. We don't make decisions totally based on evidence. Um, and there's plenty of evidence of that, <laughs> of how you know our decisions have to have to resonate with our values, you know, or else we're very conflicted. And um, I do think it's going to be hard to turn around, but not impossible, if we can reconnect. And the challenge that we globally have as societies in this. Um, Okay, I'll be I'll be bold and just say what I think. Here, <laughs> even though I'm being recorded, um, I think we've got to get some regulation of social media um, because the algorithms just fuel um, distrust, uh, disconnect, and um, a bunker mentality. I ended up in some place. I was what was I looking? at or for the other day, I ended up in an anti-abortion um, stream of vitriol on the internet. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is just so full of hatred. Um, it, it's not pro-life at all. It's just full of hatred. And it, and I was really shocked at the, at the extremity of that. Um, that was just this last week. And I I don't quite know how I got there, but I had to get out quickly because I felt um, horrible reading some of the things I was reading. And yet people are getting sucked into that. And and the, the, the more you're sucked into it, the harder it is to, I mean, people have talked about that. If they go down a rabbit hole, the harder it is to get to climb back out um, because maybe they feel like they're in a community and, and, and haven't had a feeling of acceptance in a community for for some time and that's what we somehow need to to get and the the challenges that we've had in this pandemic you know i've 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 talked to you about how lovely my experience was but i totally acknowledge how privileged i am to be here to have my salary continue so that i can work from home um, to have a supportive lovely um, husband who's at home work you know and he's an artist he can work anywhere that it's beautiful and it's beautiful here um so you know i the 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 discrepancy the 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 divisions that have happened in society are are have to be have to be we there has to be a lot of healing going on in the next year years um for us to be able to pull together as a community the way that we did in those very early days most of us did in the very early days of the pandemic 
Is there a role for science communication in that healing? Oh, there must be. There's a role for science communication in everything. Um, science is everywhere. Science, and I take a very broad church um, view of what is science. So, you know, if we're talking psychology is science, then this that's kind of core business here. Um, how do people think and make decisions? And, and how do we make, how do we, how do we exit this world leaving positive impact from our being here? And we're not doing that right now as a species, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a huge role for science communication in that. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have George Benson, a Brizen. Why this one? Well, there's a couple of reasons for it, and this is a perfect timing for it. Brizen is an instrumental, and it's just very happy, and and it's um, Brizen. You're just kind of breezing along, get you know, coping, doing well, being happy. Good, good timing to play this song in this conversation. <laughs>
Nancy, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I wish I knew the answer to that question, but I will speculate because you're asking me to. Um, yeah, so let me let me let me think about that. What do I'll start with what I hope will stick, and then I'll think back to whether or not any of that is realistic at all. Um, what I hope will what I hope we can reconnect with is that sense of community that I felt that a lot of us felt in the very early days of the pandemic. Um, and that sense of common cause and looking out for each other, that's what we desperately need. Um, I think there, dare I say, I think there are forces in the world that really do not want cohesive, cohesive societies. And I think a lot of what we're seeing now is actually manipulation and calculated manipulation. Um, I didn't used to believe in evil, but I do believe in evil now. I, I do believe in evil. And I think we're seeing some manifestations of that at present. And I think we need to really wake up. And those of us who would like to see the world a better place with people caring for each other, we, we, need, to, we need to be strong and we need to take action now. And we did that in the early days of the pandemic to, to a large part. I mean, the thing, the problem now is everyone's tired. Everyone's sick of this, <laughs> sick of this. Okay, I won't, I won't swear. I usually do, but I won't. Um, but we, we are, we're all over it. I'm over it. Everyone's over it. And some people, um, for some of us, that, that, that erupts in anger and it erupts in anger at the wrong targets. Um, and we need to try and regain some of our patience and self-control and and that's what i would like to see us recover from the early days of the pandemic and think about we can do things differently and when we do act collectively man we have a lot of power to change outcomes um so that's what i hope we can regain that feeling of of power of being able to make decisions about our world. I mean, we've got a very small window of opportunity now for to do anything constructive about climate change. And we've been told about that. Now, this is a big challenge for science communication where we just have not managed to, to cut through. Um, but now it's urgent. Now it's very, very urgent. And maybe that's the thing that science community, the advantage that science communication communicators had with the pandemic was that it was urgent. People needed to pay attention now because it was life or death. And we're about at that stage now with climate change, where, you know, in the early days of science communication about climate change, it was all out there. It was like 50 years away. It's like, you know, just too far, you know, I'll think about that one of these days. Well, this is one of those days. And we need to think about it now. So that's our big challenge is and that I hope we can do is to take some of that that feeling of we can do this if we all pull together. We can do something positive here and, and have a better outcome and transfer that. We talked with Charlie Gardner last week, who is a leader in Scientist Rebellion and in the UK. And he sort of walked away from the, or partially walked away from his job at the um, 
Durrell Institute in wherever it is, Can- Can- Canterbury, um, because somebody said to him, if this climate change thing that you're on about is so important, how come the, 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 the scientists aren't rioting in the streets? And he said, that's a good point. And so he's now doing that. Maybe not the rioting. But what can we do to get that urgency across without having to, to sort of almost not walk away from the scientists but become that sort of ex- extreme end? Well, maybe we have to. That's a really good question. I don't know if you went to any of the um, student um, marches. I did, and that was really heartening to see. And, I mean, we need, we need, we need, we don't necessarily need young, but we need enthusiastic, energetic people, which does tend to mean young, but not always. Um, And... Actually, I was I was I read an interesting might have been on spin off. I read an interesting suggestion recommendation that we have a one p.m. climate change briefing. I think um, James Shaw was talking about that, and, or somebody was talking about that. And I thought, you know, we we need it right up front in our consciousness. We need it, and and that's the challenge that climate change has faced. Is it's always been kind of a back burner issue, <laughs> no pun intended, um, and. Um, it needs to be front and center. And so, yeah, the protests, the marches, the, um, the Greta Thunbergs um, need, need to be making these statements and, and that, that consciousness raising of people so that those of us who are maybe not quite so out there can go, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I should I have to, I not maybe I should, I have to modify um, what I do and, and, and address this. And there are significant mm. vested interests in us not changing. Totally. And that kind of gets back <laughs> to my comment earlier that I, I now believe in evil. I, do, I believe that there are people who know that there, this is going to cause devastation. It's going to cause death. It's going to cause extinctions, but you know, what the heck? We'll make a few more bucks. Um, I, I just can't see how people sleep at night. Um, but it, you know, it kind of goes back to yeah. I, I do think that that is there is intentional sowing of discord and dis um, disruption in societies to to distract us from what we should be doing. The pandemic has certainly shown us that we can do stuff if we set our mind to it, though. Yeah, there's there's there's, so there's not going to be much there's that. you know there's not going to be much excuse if someone says well we can't make this diff change for for carbon for 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 carbon for climate change because it's going to cost a billion dollars over the next ten years. Well, yeah, we can do that if we have those priorities. If we if we want to save the planet, it, I mean the planet will continue. We might not as a species, but um, and a lot of other species. A lot of other species. <laughs> I have some questions. Um, but- I have some questions to end the show. Okay. Not very much time, so we're going to have to wriggle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, man, that's a good question. I never <laughs> – I always feel like, oh, it could have been a little bit better. Um, so what, what, what would I say was a success? I have really enjoyed um, working with the um, – Working with students is always, well, not always, but is satisfying to me, very satisfying to me. And um, a couple, of, I've been working with the Waitaki Whitestone Geopark in um, 
up out of Wamaru and the Vanished World Visitor Center in Duntroon. And some of my students have done some podcasts about some of the places that people can go visit up there that have just been fantastic. And I think they'll use them and people will get to enjoy, learn a little bit about these amazing landscapes that we have, like elephant rocks and places like that. Um, so I would say that that's been the most satisfying. And, hmm. So we are writing a book about these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? Well, I do. That's funny you ask, because I think my superpower is my invisibility cloak. <laughs> I seem to when I when I do things a lot of times I feel like it's not visible I'm not visible in that but um and I've decided that that's actually my superpower is that I can just get on and do things behind the scenes and get things done and you know I don't get credit for it necessarily but that's not really what's important Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. Yes, I do. Mm. And I think we, we all need to be, not necessarily out in the streets, but we all need to be active in some way that works for us as an individual. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> well, I have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. I must confess, until I've had at least a couple of cups of coffee, I'm not out of bed. It doesn't mean I'm not up and do, awake and doing things, but um, but what does get me out of bed Um usually is a feeling of responsibility, to be honest, a feeling that I need to just pull my socks up and get on with it. What is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Well, I'm at that stage in my life where I am trying to figure out what to do with the last maybe third, maybe quarter of my life. And so I am most looking forward to figuring out a plan <laughs> making a plan because right now I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> On the sustainable lens, that's what the opening question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Pick something that you can do today and tomorrow and this week and do it. Even if it's, feels really small and insignificant just do it um yeah thank you very much for that thank you very much for joining me lovely to talk with you just an inch away from your face i am staring into your eyes you would be surprised if you could see what's an inch from your face but it's impossible I am invisible Tiptoeing and holding my breath Almost knocking over a lamp Barely able to contain a sneeze I am invisible I am invisible I am invisible You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles Positive conversations with people in their bubbles Their safe spaces around the world Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
We had a contribution today from Tarka McKenzie. This is Dave Martin Giants. I am and I have been joined from Nearly Mornington in Mary Hill, Dunedin, by Nancy Longnecker. Washer. No, I'm holding his paw, pushing down on the switch, making it look like he's doing it by himself. Cause I'm invisible, I am invisible, I am invisible. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.